0: I'm Micah. You're listening to the TMI Project Podcast, Season 2, Black Stories Matter, where we're amplifying the voices of Black storytellers who got on stage and shared their stories of joy, pain, and resilience. When I met Freedom Walker in 2016, she had only recently arrived in Kingston, New York, from Harlem, where she had grown up in an apartment that provided her family with more than just affordable rent. It was a place of safety, community, and legendary culture, It would not be incorrect to say that she was exiled here. In her monologue, she presents two sides of the gentrification coin, creation and destruction.
1: Often, when I meet new people, they casually ask me, how did you end up here in Kingston? Each time I stop, take a breath, and try to engage a discipline I trained myself in long ago, the discipline of keeping myself composed. The people I just met probably expect some casual, polite answer, but what I really wanna do is scream out. I'm one of over 9,000 people who have recently been forced to migrate out of Harlem. One of over 60,000 who became homeless in New York City and had to move. Actually, I could answer their question with just one word, gentrification but was told by a white guy that the G word is insulting and asked politely not to use it again. I also read in on an online newspaper that the word racism is not the proper word to use in the year 2017. It's polite to use the word bias instead. (laughs) Does this mean that racism is newly improved? It feels like I'm being tricked by a word, asked to compromise or accommodate a condescending use of vocabulary. I think I miss my calling as a researcher. I've been reading articles by economists and social scientists who measure the effects of gentrification and try to conclude whether it's good or bad. I could have done a better job reporting on the way it acted like a virus, causing the death of Black Harlem. I don't have to research it, I was there. There are two sides to the gentrification coin, creation and destruction. On the creation side, it prevents the continuation of a downward spiral in an area that's been in decline for a long time. Buildings come back to life, streets are cleaned up, there are new schools and institutions. On the destruction side, rents and property values rise to a level that's unaffordable for the original inhabitants, and they become displaced. Some become homeless. I became homeless. When growing up in Harlem, my parents often talk about the area's heyday. I remember driving with them in our brown Ford viewing the street scene from the backseat window One time, one of them points to a Pacific neighborhood we are passing. My father says, this was once the famous Sugar Hill. I can't understand why they call it Sugar Hill. I don't see any candy stores or any resemblance to the game Candyland. All I see are row houses that have been around since the turn of the century and the old signs reading, park your horses here. My parents start reminiscing about ladies and gentlemen dressing up for the evening. Together they sing the tune of Duke Ellington's Take the A-Train. Hurry, 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 take the A-Train To get to Sugar Hill way up in Harlem If you should take the A-Train You'll get to where you're going in a hurry I love, <laughs> I love hearing the two of them singing. My parents continue to recall the early times when they moved to Harlem in the 40s, over 20 years before I was born. They tell me distinguished, celebrated people lived in the area. African American professionals, politicians, artists, musicians, and writers thrived on the hill. In the 1990s, when I'm in my late 20s, Harlem is going through a second renaissance. At the state office building, I see drawn plans for a prosperous future there. It's a design map showing reconstruction of the abandoned areas. There's a future shopping mall, a hotel, and condominiums. I'm excited. I decide to open a shop featuring my unique clothing designs somewhere on Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard. But my dream goes into gridlock at a community meeting where several religious leaders talk frankly about the reconstruction of Harlem. You know, the improvements are not for us, they say. It's the white man's plan to take back Harlem. The end result will be to kick us out. Half the people at the meeting can't conceive of getting kicked out. We are a strong community, they respond. White people never wanted to come into an area they considered a dead zone before, so why now? They can't get rid of all of us. Unfortunately, they're in denial. Well-established churches organize a plan for citizens living in private complexes to convert them into co-ops. The neighborhood banks are willing to lower the mortgage rate to support the cause. But our Tenants Association cannot collect enough signatures. Not everyone agrees to buy their apartments. They can't foresee the tragedy that is coming. In the coming years, I witness cleaner streets, a stronger police presence, less crime. There are new schools and condominiums. Brownstones are renovated. Oh, and let me not forget to mention there's now a Starbucks. I become angry when I see familiar mom-and-pop establishments replaced by high-end businesses that aren't hiring local residents. And when I learn that the newly renovated brownstones start at $1 million, there's tension between new residents and the old residents. Police officers start rounding up men of color on the sidewalks. I'm struggling with the rising cost of living my private complex is brought and sold three times. With every change in management, friends and neighbors leave at record speed. Suddenly, Section 8 and all other government programs are no longer honored. So many cannot afford to stay in their apartments, and they can't afford to leave for other ones that are even more expensive. Eventually, I'm one of those people. In 2012, I'm in housing court fighting for my tenant's right to keep my family's Harlem apartment, the one I grew up in. The rent is being raised from 899 to 2400 My immediate family are all deceased, and I'm fighting this alone. New people have replaced the neighbors I grew up with. The new people don't bat an eyelash at paying the high market value rent. I doubt they have much compassion for those of us who can't. They are now very protective of what they see as belonging to them. It causes a division in my complex. Management can't wait until I fall months behind on my rent so that they can evict me. Before long, I do. This eviction goes on my record. It will be seven years before I can apply for another apartment in New York City. I have lost the home I was born in. At first, I stay at a hotel, then I couch surf. I rent a room. Finally, I become homeless and go through the shelter system for a year. Luckily, a a nephew then connects me with a woman in Kingston who wants to pay for it. She helps me get into a shelter here, and after a while, I am able to get an affordable apartment in uptown. But now here in Kingston, I'm seeing all the familiar signs all over again and it's scary. More people are running here from the city to find lower rents to survive. Many of them are artists. Outside developers have been noticing the shift and now they're buying property and making future plans for rebuilding. The more Kingston is in the news, the more rents rise. So it's a challenge to keep myself composed when people ask me how I got here when I wonder whether I will be able to stay. It's a challenge to be polite when Caucasians who hear my story say they too lived in Harlem and tell me I should never lose my connection to it without acknowledging that I can't go back home. I can't go back home. So, Here's the conclusion to my scientific human research into the matter of gentrification. We need to stop the rise of power at the expense of others.
0: Thank you, Freedom Walker. This episode is a collaborative creation developed and written by myself, Haley Downs, and Daryl Lurie. Haley edited, and it was mixed by Marlon Barry. The theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. Our executive director is Eva Tenuto, and our director of external affairs is Sarah DeRose. The operations manager is Blake File. Shante Howell is the publicist for the season of the podcast, and Clarissa Marie Ligon is our Black Stories Matter virtual workshop manager. Lauren Gill is our graphic designer and webmaster. This podcast is co-produced by Radio Kingston. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It really helps. TMIproject.org backslash Black Stories Matter. That's where you find more information about participating in online true storytelling workshops just for black folks or attending a virtual live performance for an inclusive audience. Help us continue to create radically true stories that have the power to change the world. Make a donation today. TMIproject.org